0: I think that's something a lot of British people don't understand, that people do have families overseas and there is a need for some people to actually travel to see their families.
1: Hi, I'm Isabel Rogal and this is Borderline. This week, the United Kingdom, where I live, is starting to come back to life. 32 million people have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Shops are reopening, outdoor pubs and restaurants too. I'll be getting my first haircut in four months. And families all over the country, grandparents vaccinated, kids finally allowed to travel, are reuniting. There's just one question left on everyone's mind.
2: When do you think you'll be able to tell us that people can book a foreign holiday?
1: That's if you listen to the British media, at least. They are obsessed.
2: Our headlines today, hopes for foreign holidays. So
3: what's the official advice from the government at the moment? Should people be booking foreign holidays?
2: Absolutely all overseas holidays are illegal, level with the British public. Is there any prospect of a foreign holiday this summer?
1: My esteemed colleague's fascination with foreign holidays is an amusing reminder that Brits love their country until it comes to spending a summer here. I'm the last person to fault anyone for their wanderlust, and while the focus on Spanish beaches is a tad reductive of the wonders of foreign travel, I am reassured that not everyone here is content with pulling up the drawbridge and shutting out the world. However, it must be said, using foreign holidays as a synonym for international travel is a misnomer. It's not just inaccurate, it's frankly distressing for many. There is much more at stake than tourism when we close borders.
3: Whenever you read anything about international travel, it goes holidays. When can we go on holidays again? I don't care about that. It's about Meeting your friends and family, people you you care about.
1: That's Beate. She's seen her partner in Germany just twice since the start of the pandemic. It's been six months now.
3: I don't really know what can be done. I just wish that somehow it would be recognised that it's not just holidays people want to go on. They don't just want to go two weeks into the sun or whatever. I mean, at least they could acknowledge that they're keeping people from each other and not just always say, you know what, just don't go on holiday this year, just stay in the country and do a staycation. That's not the point, not for me at least.
1: That lack of acknowledgement is what's been baffling and hurtful to many. The toll is staggering and the silence deafening. One in seven people in this country is foreign-born. Another, maybe five million British citizens, no one's really counting, live overseas. Some quick back-of-the-envelope masks tell me the number of people in this country who love someone on the other side of British borders is in the tens of millions. That's why visiting friends or relatives abroad is the second most frequent reason for foreign travel after holidays. It's about one in four trips out of the UK, twice the volume of business travel. For these families and couples, spending time together has been impossible for most of the past year. For months, it's also been illegal. That's the British context, but you'll find the same stories repeated over and over again in most countries. This has left many people who, like me, like you, like millions, love Across Borders, feeling ignored or alienated from their governments, their media, and the public at large. Today, I wanted to make room for their voices and let them tell you, in their own words, what the last year has been like. Their stories speak for many more.
3: My name is Arietta and I live in Scotland. My partner Mate lives in Zagreb in Croatia and we've now been separated for nine months with no end in sight. That's been really difficult for me. I had a tough upbringing to say the least and I really struggled to find myself and a feeling of home and belonging and family. I eventually found that, and that saved my life for sure, but it does mean that the only home I know is 1700 miles away, and the support network and family that I found, my partner and my future mother-in-law, are the most amazing people I've had that taken away from me, and constantly being denied any hope of getting it back anytime soon, it's had a huge impact on my mental health and really sent me into some dark places. On a lighter note, I also really miss his mum's cooking. I've joked that when I finally am allowed to visit, I'll be smuggling her back in my suitcase because I'll be damned if I let these restrictions make me miss out on her Croatian cheese pie for another year. But more seriously, the travel restrictions have meant that we've missed Christmas and New Year, my daughter's birthday, our birthdays, Valentine's Day, Easter, all of those things and all of the mundane stuff too that, you know, couples who can see each other take for granted. So hugs, kisses, pranks, walks, all of that and more. I'm now going to the end of my university course, provided I actually pass since my grades have taken a nosedive along with my mental health. But if it remains illegal to leave Scotland, I then face missing another occasion. My online COVID-friendly graduation ceremony without my partner and without my loved ones. This has been one of the toughest times in my life and we're both just hoping and praying that it's going to be over soon so we can reunite and work on building a family unit and the rest of our lives together.
2: I'm Marion from Switzerland and my boyfriend lives in the US. We haven't seen each other for 14 months now. Of course we're trying to FaceTime as much as we can but there is still... The time difference, which makes it more difficult, and the weekends when everybody's with their families and their partners and we're just alone. It's just super, super devastating and sad. I cry myself to sleep at least one, two, three times a week. Just because there is no end in sight, we have no dates at all. Um, yeah, I hope Mr. President Biden will lift the travel ban in mid-May for everyone. And yeah, that all the separated families and couples can reunite. My name is Mary
0: Aldridge Eligu. I'm from the UK. I grew up in a place called Grantham in Lincolnshire and when I was 19 I moved to Uganda which was supposed to be for 19 months but then I met my husband and I've been living there for four years. I haven't been back to the UK since June 2018. I have a sister who is in Sheffield and a brother who is in Germany. They all came out for my wedding in 2018. So that was the last time we were all together, which was really nice actually. We got married in September 2018, so we weren't really in a rush for 2019 to go back. We were still trying to settle. And then from 2020, the virus hit, so we were just unable to travel. So just before all of this corona thing in February, my dad was diagnosed with bowel cancer. Thankfully, he was able to get an operation, which was booked in for April at this point. And, you know, at this point, me and Fidel were contemplating maybe travelling back home on getting the visa to see my dad, because my dad has a really good relationship with my husband. So we wanted to be there for my mum and, you know, be there as he recovers. So, you know, just as what families are supposed to do and then the airport in Uganda shut in march so no one was going in and no one was going out completely it was just a very difficult thing because when you're you just want to be there when your loved one is sick you want to look after them and you want to support them during that time and especially like my mom because my mom was worried about everything And I think having a cancer diagnosis, especially for your mental health, it can be very difficult. And my dad struggled with that. So we really wanted, we just wanted to be there, which was just not an option because of coronavirus. October was when the airport officially opened. My dad actually got the all clear in November, which was great news. The operation was successful, but because they're still shielding, we've decided not to travel at this very moment in time with the really high cases in the UK. I don't want to be the reason why my parents get coronavirus. I think some days have been a lot better than others, but I think living away from home is very, very difficult, and then you put the pandemic on top of it. It's been incredibly tough. Some days I've not handled it that well. Like, I've been quite upset and homesick in comparison to other days. But I think it's also, my parents used to visit, like, two to three times a year, which was so helpful. And I just don't know when I'll see them again, which has put, like, a huge strain on me because I love my parents and I'm quite a a relational person, so... Not being able to see them has been very, very difficult. I have absolutely no idea when they'll come. I think my mum said she'll come as soon as she can. But if she's not able to come soon, then I'll possibly travel back around November. When I do see like things regarding travel restrictions or if people have travelled and there's like, an article on it, I think... Some people in the comments section don't realise that not everyone travels for leisure. And I think that's something a lot of British people don't understand, that people do have families overseas and there is a need for some people to actually travel to see their families. And I just remember reading, I think they had a picture of Heathrow Airport there was a flight leaving and there was just a lot of really rude remarks about the people who were leaving and they were just quite racist these are the people spreading the virus and yeah it just really made me so angry because I think people do forget that a lot of British people do have families in all over the world and I think this was a flight going to Pakistan, and I know a lot of people in the UK who do have their grandparents in Pakistan or that sort of area. It just made me really angry. There's
1: something else making Mary angry. It's a bit off topic, but it isn't really because COVID travel restrictions, in a way, have only expended and aggravated existing inequities for transnational families.
0: It's very difficult for him to get a visitation visa to the UK. He has to prove a lot of ties to Uganda. I think it's £93, but it's non-refundable. From what I do understand, a lot of Ugandans are always very unsuccessful with getting visitation visas. British
1: citizens who marry abroad need to reach a certain income threshold independent of their spouse to sponsor them to live in the UK. So Mary could technically come home despite travel restrictions, saying she's simply moving back. But she'd have to leave Fidel behind.
0: Because of the minimum income requirement, I would need to be earning £18,600. And I come from an area with not many high-skilled jobs. It would just be very difficult for me to get that job. And moreover, we'd be separated for six months plus. Like I, if, I, if I do by some miracle manage to get a job when I arrive in the UK it wouldn't take so long but yeah you have to also have six months worth of payslips that's why I'm saying it would take six months plus I, I just get so angry that they don't seem to care about British citizens who do live overseas or have married overseas it just makes me feel like I'm such a burden to the government when I've not done anything wrong I just want them to maybe look at families like us differently and maybe have a lot more compassion towards us and to stop treating us like we're a huge burden to the system just give us a more fairer chance of being able to do normal family things like traveling to the UK as a family and not having to prove that my husband's some criminal who wants to illegally stay in the UK like you know, it's just it get quite frustrating <laughs> like having to prove constantly that my marriage is not some scam or my relationship is genuine and my husband is not a criminal or my husband's not a bad person i think it just feels so exhausting <laughs>
1: That alienation from home is a topic that has come up again and again. For many, it has made the isolation even more palpable and the prospect of return emotionally fraught. That's come up in unexpected ways for Jane Copland, a New Zealander in the UK.
4: We left New Zealand after Christmas on the 2nd of January 2020, which I count as the worst mistake I made in 2020. I should never leave the country. But that was the last time I saw my parents. And before that, it was another year before that, we were trying to get into the habit of going back at Christmas, but that obviously didn't happen this year. It's been a very interesting time, I think, to be somebody who lives overseas from where they're from, especially being, I think, a New Zealander or an Australian. I think in, in New Zealand, there's always been a lot of frustration. We were often an afterthought internationally. I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger and I used to travel to Europe uh, a lot and you'd come across people who had never even heard of New Zealand, didn't even know that New Zealand existed or if they did, they weren't quite sure where it was, they thought it might be part of Australia. nobody really knew anything about us. And I think that that was always a bit frustrating because you thought we we matter, we we're a unique country full of unique people. And as uh, the years went on, more and more people became aware of who we were on the back of things like the Lord of the Rings movie. We became a terrorist destination and so people then learnt who we were. And then COVID happened. All of a sudden we were shot to the top of international talking points. New Zealand has suddenly found itself to be a big success story. And a lot of people have taken the frustrations that they had about the way we used to be treated. And that has become quite... Toxic because they have, I think, to a degree, decided to externalize all of that frustration that we grew up with and be like, "Look at me, I'm the best now. You guys all suck." And looking at it from the outside, I understand the frustration. I understand the the, the chip on the shoulder. I've had it myself, but it is not a nice way to behave when the rest of the world is, is suffering, especially because there is still. There are still hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders and Australians overseas and we sit and we hear the nasty comments that get made. There's been a lot of people saying things like don't come home and that is hard to hear because although we don't have any plans to come home at, at the moment it would be pretty much impossible at the moment for us. The idea that people are telling you not to come back is upsetting. It's not very nice. Especially if you do something like what we've done where we've gone months at a time without leaving the house. When you see like the nasty comments, some of the things that people have said, I think they don't understand. They have zero concept of what it's been like to live here or in mainland Europe or the United States during all this because there's been a lot of criticism from some New Zealanders and they're not a majority, but some New Zealanders making out that we're to blame or we're in the wrong or at fault for <clears throat> some of the really ordinary things that we've had to do. So there was a conversation that I ended up seeing on Twitter yesterday because it got retweeted or got liked into my stream. And it was saying, oh, there was this woman who went to the tip in Manchester. My friend in Manchester was saying that she went to the dump, the rubbish dump and and that's not lockdown. I don't know why they think they're in lockdown. Is it any wonder that their country is so screwed up? like it's been a year sometimes you have to go to the tip like (laughs) you're gonna leave it in your driveway or and I think that they don't really get it because New Zealand was in lockdown for five weeks and there are some things that you can put off for five weeks but now for us it's been 11 and a half months since we closed the office slammed the doors took our kid out of school I don't think that they actually understand what it's been like to live like this for this amount of time this is people's lives a lot of people have died a lot of people are miserable like it's not being smug about rugby or the olympics or something that doesn't matter this is real this sounds bad but after a whole after basically a year sometimes it gets really hard to be constantly in the position where you're happy for other people because i am happy for them like i'm happy for all of my friends on facebook all my high school friends who are safe and happy and going about their normal lives. But I mean, Christmas Eve, I had a bit of a meltdown, bit of a breakdown, because sometimes it's just hard after a long time to constantly be, I'm so happy for you. and But my life is, is you know, what it is.
1: In the past week, the British government has started to detail its plans to resume foreign travel. It does not differentiate between holidays and family reunions. It does not yet list which countries will be allowed, and it does not offer a start date. May 17 at the earliest is all we know. When he made the announcement, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps had a word for transnational families.
3: The one-third of people, actually over a third of uh, children, born in this country to at least one parent who
4: themselves was born outside of the UK means that perhaps uniquely amongst major economies, we have family connections all over the world at a much larger scale. And those families won't have seen each other Uh, for many months. And as we domestically unlock, uh, I think it is right to look at a safe, secure, with an abundance of caution system uh, to be put in place to enable uh, those types
3: of visits to, to, to go ahead.
1: Those 30 seconds were the first and only acknowledgement I could find from the British government and I've been paying attention for a while. I want to thank Mary, Jane, Biata, Marian, and Arietta for sharing their stories so generously. And thank you as well to Alex, Sharon, Hannah, Sally, Wendy, Maggie, Joe, Sabrina, Johan, Paolo, Darcy, Johanna, Laurence, Sean, Isabel, and so many, many more who have reached out and shared their stories on social media or in my inbox. I wish you all joyful reunions as soon as possible. If you think these stories are important and you want more coverage of lives lived across borders, please support it by becoming a member at join.borderlinepod.com. Borderline is 100% funded by its listeners and needs your help to continue. Thank you and welcome this week to several new members: Peter ferrer Lane burgos slovesi Karen Passeller, Gregory Nicolaides, Theodora agarizzi as well as an anonymous new member. And my apologies if I'm not pronouncing these names right. Do feel free to send me a pronunciation guide as well. When you um, sign up, we really have members from all over the world, well beyond my language skills, and I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Isabel Hogol. Music is by Offshane. Borderline is a One Lane Bridge production. I'll talk to you next week. Last words to Matt Hancock. On the summer holidays, uh, I'm, um, I, I'm going to Cornwall uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I've said before, I think we're going to have a great British summer.